Welcome to Faith Center Foursquare Church's Message of the Week. For more information on the church or ministry, head on over to our website, eurekafaithcenter.org, or find us on Facebook or Instagram. Now, we hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning. Good morning and Merry Christmas. I heard you say, I heard a few of you say Merry Christmas. Some of you haven't said it yet, but it's now past Thanksgiving. It's okay to say it now, right? You agree? So Merry Christmas. It's good to be together. And in case you didn't know this, Heidi and I are big fans of Christmas. We do it in a big way. We're not the, the Grinchy types who just want to skip it. We actually really enjoy it. So you see the place decorated, thanks to a lot of great volunteers. And we are kicking off Advent. If you didn't hear it, youth are dismissed. Is that what you're wa- Are you waving, Miguel? Miguel, all right, so youth, junior high and high school, we do have a class for you. You can head that way. But just today we lit the first candle of Advent. And if you're not familiar with that tradition, it is a tradition that's been around for centuries. It uh, crisscrosses denominations. And there's something pretty exciting about knowing that Christians all around the world this weekend are remembering the same aspect of the incarnation or the coming of Jesus. You know, we lit the prophecy candle. Today we're focusing on hope. God's promises, the things that we can depend on, the things that we can count on. So during this season, I would encourage you to come each weekend. Each weekend service is going to be special. You already heard about a Christmas concert that's coming up. Wouldn't it be great to go to a concert again? Some of you haven't had a chance to do that, but that's going to be really special. And each weekend we'll be lighting another candle of Advent, culminating on Christmas Eve when we have our candlelight services and we'll be lighting the Jesus candle. A few years ago, Heidi and I wrote an Advent devotional. If you haven't picked up a copy of this, we do have some at the Welcome Center and at Gathering Grounds, the coffee shop. So you might grab one of those because I think the important thing isn't to just get caught up in like especially all the commercialism of Christmas, but get caught up in Jesus. You know, this is a season where you hear music that's proclaiming Jesus being played, you know, all throughout our community. I believe this is a valuable opportunity to speak life and to share the gospel uh, like no other time of the year. Well, I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. It was a beautiful day, right? Wasn't it? A beautiful week. For the first time, I think, in my life, I didn't have any turkey. And you know what? It felt just fine. Just fine. Anybody else not have turkey? I just want to see. I had salmon. We had pork chops and salmon. It was really good. I did the turkey trot, ran the turkey trot in Old Town. Good job, Joe Kenke was there running it as well. Miguel was there running. Maybe some of you out here were running it as well. There were about 500 people out there doing that. We went to the beach. We had a great time having food uh, with family and with friends. But uh, we know, we all know, that the holidays can be disappointing. I don't know, kind of like Clark Griswold, we have these high expectations of what could be. And inevitably, travel plans change. Uh, The coming together of in-laws and our dysfunctional family members can leave us stressed out, maybe needing some alone time. Also at the holidays, you know, we can't control what is happening in our lives. We might be experiencing the loss of a loved one or separation from loved ones. I'll never forget our first Thanksgiving without our kids as empty nesters. I'll never forget the one Christmas that we had where Heidi's mom had passed away just weeks before Christmas and opening the presents that she had given to us without, without her with us any longer. That was a, a big disappointment. But there also are more trivial disappointments that we've experienced. Remember our minivan breaking down on I-5 as we were rushing to go see my parents and celebrate Christmas with them, having to spend a night in Chehalis 
Trust me, it's about as good as it sounds, okay? The tow truck came to pick us up. They had no room in the cab for the four of us. So they just towed us onto the flatbed of the tow truck and were driving us down the freeway. I told the kids, we get to be in a Christmas parade, all right? You're the elves. Just wave to everybody as we go. I'm the Grinch. I'm driving the car. I'm not happy right now because I know this is going to cost us a lot of money and a lot of time. It was, it was rough. So whether it's the trivial or the tragic, you know, and we go through the holidays, we encounter some disappointments. Yet the Christmas story is filled with people facing disappointments and overcoming those things. I think about Elizabeth and Zechariah who wanted to have a child and were unable to do so for years. I think about Joseph feeling betrayed by his fiancée, Mary, when he finds out that she's pregnant. I think about Mary feeling ostracized and alone, misunderstood by both her family, her friends, and her community. But disappointment is the fertile ground for hope to be born, for hope to grow, for hope to be planted. I mean, where do we need hope other than in the face of disappointments? So whatever disappointments that you may face, and maybe this will be the perfect Christmas season. But inevitably, we encounter those disappointments, but may hope be planted in the midst of those situations. I want you to imagine with me that you're traveling back in time today. And we're going to go back to BC. We're going back to what scholars call the exile, the exile of Israel, where they were taken into captivity in Babylon. And if you would imagine that you were there, that that is where you live now, and you used to live in Jerusalem, but now you are a stranger in a strange land. You in Jerusalem had seen your city invaded by the Babylonians. You had loved ones and friends who'd been killed. You'd lost all of your worldly wealth, your home, your possessions. Any wealth that you had was now gone. You'd seen the temple of God itself torn down before your very eyes. You'd seen the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the very presence of God, carried away by the Babylonians, not just symbolically showing the departure of God, but in terms of your whole theology, you feel abandoned by God. Like he's broken the covenant that you counted on, that you depended on, that you believed in. And so now you're living in the harsh conditions of a refugee camp in modern-day Iraq, ancient Babylon, people who don't speak your language, suffering indefinitely without hope. And this is not because of decisions that you've made. You've been swept along in these floodwaters of tragedy that have nothing to do with your decisions. There's bigger things happening in your world than you can control. But in the middle of that refugee camp, there steps up a prophet, a self-proclaimed prophet, who speaks a message. A message that is in great contrast to the realities that you're facing. And this prophet's name is Jeremiah. We're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. And this is what Jeremiah says. In the midst of that situation, here's what he has to say. And this is what God really has to say through him. And as I read this passage of scripture, I'd like you to try to count the number of times you hear the phrase, I will. How many times does God say, I will, in these few verses. Here's what he says. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, 
Though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. All right, how many times did you hear the phrase, I will? Six? I think six was right. Six or seven? Yeah, right. Six or seven times. God says, I will, I will, I will, I will, over and over again. He is the God who speaks, I will, over our lives. He has a future, a future hope. He says that days are coming when things are going to change, when things will be different. God provides a vision of something much better. And you know, I believe that God speaks those words over our lives continually. He says, I will, I will, I will. He's not finished with us. As long as we're here, there is a hope that he wants us to be able to hold on to, no matter what circumstances we're going through, no matter what choices people have made around us, no matter what diagnosis you might have received, God is speaking into our future. I always have a future hope in the Lord. And so the hope that we just read about wasn't just for people in ancient history. These promises spoken by God have application in our lives today. This hope is secure and real. And when I look at this passage, there are three promises that really stand out to me. The first one is that I am promised a covenant relationship with God, a new covenant. This comes up over and over again. And for those of you who like to kind of geek out on theology a little bit, the word covenant, which means a contract or law or a binding agreement between two parties. That's what a covenant is. The Latin word for covenant is testament. So when you hear and you look at a Bible, it's like, what's the, the Old Testament, New Testament? Latin would say old, you know, that would, that would be the Latin version of old covenant, new covenant. So the old covenant, what once was, was the law that the Israelites lived under. And in this passage, God says, you know, you, you guys broke that covenant. You didn't hold up your part of the bargain. In fact, nobody could. We can't fulfill the law. And so God's like, that one has been done away with. But now I'm establishing a new promise, a new contract, a new covenant. And this is good news because perhaps like, like me, you're a person who looks at the Old Testament and says, you know what, why was that so harsh? So glad I didn't live back then. <laughs> you know, I would have been a pillar of salt or I would have been swallowed up by the ground. You know, there's, you see these harsh realities under the old covenant, but God says those things are in the past. Jesus has now established a new covenant. And what a covenant does is it brings security and it brings uh, a higher level of love because there's a commitment. Anytime I do a wedding ceremony, I will be thinking, or I, might, I will usually say it. I say that today... This love goes deeper than it's ever gone before in the midst of a wedding ceremony. Why? Because it's now established not just by emotions, not just by a verbal agreement, but now we are making a covenant that transcends emotions and feelings, and there's security in that. Like when Heidi and I first started dating, it's like, maybe this will work, maybe it won't. How far do we want to go in this relationship? I don't know. That wasn't very secure. But once we made that decision to say, yeah, we're going to love each other for a lifetime, there's peace, security, safety in that. And the same thing is true in your relationship with God. Under this new covenant, God's not like saying, 
hmm, let's see how you do today, because if you blow it, I'm out of here. No, God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm extending love to you. I'm extending my grace to you. It is available to you as long as you have breath. The new covenant is available to you. And that makes our relationship with God secure. Second promise in this passage. I'm promised an internal relationship with God. And this is a wonderful thing. There's something very personal about our relationship with God. I don't have to go looking for God. He doesn't live in a temple. He's not hanging out at the Ark of the Covenant, wherever that might be. I don't have to go looking for a revival. I don't have to go to Toronto or Brownsville or Reading or the Vatican or... Jerusalem, or yeah, any of these places. Why? Because it's clear, he says, no longer am I going to be even trying to teach someone else. I'm going to be able to know God personally. I'm now going to be, as we know, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He is with us. We no longer need a priest or a mediator to go to God on our behalf, other than Jesus himself. You and I can talk to God. You're sitting in the presence of God. Whether you're in this room or watching online, you are in his loving presence and you cannot get away from him. What we need to do is we just need to cultivate a deepening awareness of his presence. Let me say that again because this is one of the big challenges of, of my life. I want to cultivate a deepening awareness of the presence of God because that doesn't change. My awareness changes, but his presence doesn't change. Anyone want to say amen? So how do I cultivate a deepening awareness of his presence? It's by being in his word. It's by being in prayer. It's by being in worship. It's by stopping and just meditating on who he is. I mean, he's surrounded us with his glory. And, you know, even this morning, just going on a run through the redwoods at Sequoia Park, I see his glory all around me. All I have to do is just stop and think and rest and pray and listen But the third promise is that I am promised a grace-filled relationship with God. This is real grace. This isn't cheap grace. This is just the unmerited favor of God. That's what grace means, literally, the unmerited favor of God. A few weeks ago, I came into the office, and I was running a little bit late in the morning. I knew that I had a lunch appointment, and the lunch appointment was a brown bag lunch meeting. So I was meeting with a couple. We were going to bring our own lunch. We were just going to meet over lunch. But because I was running behind, I stopped by Ramon's to grab a, like a baguette sandwich for lunch. And I had a gift certificate. So I was like, oh, cool. I found a little gift certificate. I'm going to go get a free sandwich, basically. That'll be my brown bag lunch. And I come into the office, and our administrative assistant's like, Matt, I decided to make you and Heidi tortilla soup last night. Here it is. You guys can have this. I was like, all right, well, now I've got two meals, right? So then I go to this lunch appointment. Well, actually, before the lunch meeting, the man I was meeting with said, Matt, I want to buy you lunch. It's like, no, I already got lunch on the way here. He goes, no, I want to buy you lunch for our meeting. Going to the Humboldt Soup Company, you know, what do you want? I was like, I could tell he was really serious about wanting to buy me lunch. So I, I did tell him I already had lunch, but no, he's like, no. I said, okay, I'll have, I'll have a gyro. I'll have a lamb gyro since you're insisting on it, and I'll take the sweet potato chips, okay? So now I had like three lunches right there. <laughs> then after the meeting, I go to another meeting at 1.30, and John Salmon walks in with a bowl of poke from the poke truck. And is like, Matt, I just wanted, I was like, what? why are you getting me this? I've, like, I've already had like three, this is my fourth lunch now, like, <laughs> I, I don't know if I can eat this, but this is really, really nice. This is not normal for me, okay? I just got to tell you, this doesn't happen. This never happens in my life. So this is just a weird day, but I ate well. 
but it wasn't over yet. That night, I go to class, North Coast Bible Institute, to teach. And one of the students brought in brown bag, like lunches for all the students with like blessings written in them and food in them. Like it was like a full, it was, I felt like a little kid. It was like a little kid's meal, but it was wonderful. And it had promises in it. And I thought, okay, does this mean something? <laughs> like that's what you start, when things like that happen that are extraordinary, it's like, what are you saying, God? And God's like, I'm just saying I love you. And I'll just like say it again and again and again and again. And I'll tell you what grace is. Grace is more, it's receiving more than you could ever need, right? It's, it's receiving more than you could ever even use up. And it gives you enough to even give to other people. I mean, for me, it was more than I needed, more than I asked for, and enough to share. You know, God is serving you up more than enough grace. You'll, you'll never even ask for the grace the amount of grace that's truly available to you. It's like, here's turkey dinner for you. This is grace for you, and it's all for you. It's more than enough. I have more grace than I need, more than I've asked for. I have enough to share with others. Had I done anything to deserve that? No, absolutely not. Had nothing to do with me. Has everything to do with God. So I'm thankful for his grace. You know, be thankful for who he is above all else. And if you haven't had a chance during the last couple days to take an inventory of gratitude and to give thanks to the Lord, I encourage you to do that even right now. Just make that list and give thanks to the Lord. And when you need to be gracious to someone else, be gracious to them. Think about all that grace that he's given you. Maybe we can be gracious to somebody who's hurt us or um, you know, damaged us with their words or their actions. Well, if I'd been living back in Jeremiah's day, though, and I had heard Jeremiah make all these promises, I would have been like, great, that's really great. When's it going to happen? Could it happen tomorrow, please? <laughs> like, could it happen right away? You know, because those words didn't align with the people's circumstances. They didn't align with the reality that they were facing. And in fact, they say that the exile in Babylon lasted about 70 years. And so how can we receive hopeful messages and like, what, what is the purpose of that? Like, it's great when we see it fulfilled, but what about when we don't? Well, hope is what bridges the gap between the promise and the fulfillment of the promise. Hope is what gets us there. Hope is what allows us to endure and allows us to stay positive. And hope, it's not just empty wishing. I'm talking about prophetic hope, hope based on what God is saying and what God wants to do. It's been so, said that hope gives meaning to tomorrow plus the strength to endure the difficult nights that never seem to end. Some of you have been through those times. Without hope, life might seem like a collection of just random assaults. But hope, real hope, is the certainty that our Creator will show up in the most dire moments that we go through. It's been said before that we cannot live without hope. People without hope are not fun to be around. They're pessimistic, they're negative, they get grumpy, grouchy, even grinchy. <laughs> and as I mentioned earlier, we're doing this series called a Cla The Classic Christmas, or A Classic Christmas. And we're going to get a little scene from several Christmas classics all the way through Advent. Today we're going to see a scene from The Grinch. So enjoy this. And now, for the final notes in the symphony of my downright nasty not niceness. Without the decorations and presents I took from those nasty hoos, there will be no Christmas. 
Yes, the crescendo of my odious opus. Oh, the wailing and gnashing of teeth, the bellowing of the bitterly bummed out, to be like music to my ears. Huh. What's this? I hear a sound rising over the snow. It starts to low, but now it's starting to grow. But the sound, it isn't, it isn't sad at all. No, it's, it's merry, merry, very. All the who's down in Whoville, the tall and the small are singing without any presence at all. I haven't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or other, it came just the same. But how can it be so? I came without ribbons. I came without tags. I came without packages, boxes, or bags. Well, maybe Christmas doesn't come from a store. Maybe, perhaps, I mean, it's quite a bit more. Uh. Ugh. What are you doing here, Cindy Poo Poo? I'm sitting Lou and here to see you. And why would you do that? Because no one's be alone on Christmas. Here, I have things for you. Mr. Grinch, I like you. I think they're sweet. Ah! Uh. Ah! Uh. 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 Help me. I'm feeling. I must say that my tiny heart has grown three sizes this day. What is happening to me? I'm all toasty inside and I'm aching. I'm a new man. Boy, what day is it? It's not a boy, I'm a girl. It's Christmas, silly. So it is. Go fetch the largest turkey you can find for a fine feast. We don't eat turkey, we feast on roast beef. And get that. Get five, ten, no, fifty. There's a grinch. We'll come to Christmas celebration. Everybody wants it there, especially me. Well, let me just check my schedule. I can move self loathing to 9 30. Yup. I'm free. Well, hello, little girl, who I don't detest no more. You look different. I know. Harry. No. Greasy. Sinky. Driver's it. <laughs> no. You found joy! Wow, great job. I don't think too many churches around here had the Grinch visit this weekend, but we did right here. And what was it that changed the Grinch's heart? It was the persistent love of the people that ultimately caused his heart to start beating. And I am reminded of the challenge that we have of, dealing, of seeing our hearts change. We can't change our own hearts. You know, try as we may. <laughs> you know, to be perfect or to get it right, it will fail. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who, who can understand it? Well, one of Jeremiah's fellow prophets, also in Babylon, one of his contemporaries was this other prophet named Ezekiel. And he talked about what it really takes to see our hearts change. And as I read this prophecy, I encourage you, again, to look for and try to count the number of I will statements 
Ezekiel 36, verse 24, God says, I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors and you will be my people and I will be your God and I will save you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and make it plentiful and will not bring famine upon you. I will increase the fruit of the trees and the crops of the field so that you will no longer suffer disgrace among the nations because of famine. How many I wills did you hear in that one? Maybe you count 11. Good job. You guys are good. That's what I counted as well. And so God says, I'm going to do all these things again. People in exile, people facing bitter disappointment. God says, I'm going to do these things. And right in the middle of it is this beautiful promise that I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I'm going to remove from you your heart of stone. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. I'm promised a new heart. This is what we need. We need that heart transplant. And I just read about a a girl, eight years old, named Avery Sweat, eight years old from West Virginia. And back in June, she started suffering from a heart condition. And it was so severe that they had to do surgery and she spent a lot of time in the hospitals. They had to insert a device that would keep her heart regulated and keep it going. But they said if the device failed, she would die. If the battery stopped, she would die. And so she was put on a list as a candidate to receive a heart transplant. I just read about this today because it was on Thanksgiving morning that she received a new heart. And in the article, they said the family, yeah, yeah, thank God, right? What a Thanksgiving for them to receive that and to have a future for this little girl and a bright outlook. But in the midst of their Thanksgiving, they also were struck with the reality that it caused someone grieving for them to receive that life. It required a death for her to receive that new heart that would give her life. And I think it's just that picture of how God doesn't merely offer us a new heart, but Jesus laid down his life and he paid the price and he took upon himself our sins and he suffered. And we we remember who he is and who he was, but we also remember the cross because it's through that that we then receive that grace, that we then receive that transformation. That's why I said earlier, the grace, it's not like cheap grace, but it leads us to this gratitude, recognizing the ultimate sacrifice that he made, the ultimate love that he had for us. And so this is what we need spiritually speaking. We are loved by God. And it's that love that changes us and opens the door for us to receive that transformational work of the Spirit of God. And when we experience that transformation, we don't have to be bitter. We can let go of our defensiveness. Our insecurities begin to melt away when we realize realize that we are loved by God. I think about David at his very lowest point in Psalm 51, verse 10, when he was racked with guilt. He cried out to God and he said, God, create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit in me. And that word create that he chose to use in that prayer is the same word that's used in Genesis chapter 1, where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, that God created something out of nothing. 
And that's what David needed. He didn't just need a heart cleanse. He didn't need just like angioplasty or bypass. He's like, no, I need something created out of nothing. Lord, would you give me a new heart? Create in me a new heart, a clean heart. And this is what God does. He doesn't just fix us. He doesn't just wash us. He makes us new. So many people live their lives with circumstantial hope, you know, hoping for good things based on a forecast, you know, like, I hope, the, for, I hope the, the passes are clear when I go visit my family for Christmas, or I hope for a good economic forecast, or I hope to be able to enjoy those two weeks off at the end of the year. Maybe we'll put our hope in science, or hope in politics, or hope in people. But God offers us another kind of hope, and I would call it prophetic hope. And prophetic hope is the ability to see things from God's perspective. If you can see things from God's perspective, you will have hope. He gives us hope. That's where his promises are found. That's where we put our security, and it comes from being in his word and being in his presence and listening to him. Hebrews 6 verse 19 says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. So we have this hope as an anchor. And where is it found? says behind the curtain in the inner sanctuary that refers to the very presence of god that's where our hope is found in the presence of god using that old testament imagery of the holy of holies that's where our hope is we find hope in the presence of god not in circumstances so even as we come to the end of 2021 hear the lord speak into your heart i will i will i will i will and before you dismiss his promises before you dismiss that hope because of cynicism or pessimism spend time in his presence he says i will provide i will increase i will wash i will forgive i will forget i will take your burdens i will make you fruitful i will make you new i will increase our god is a god of hope romans 15 verse 13 says may the god of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope. How? By the power of the Spirit. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for allowing us to receive this new promise that you can take our hearts and you make them new. And Lord, for those of us who've experienced that, Lord, we thank you for that. I pray that you would renew our hope and that we would find that hope in your presence. If we look to our world for hope, we're going to be disappointed. If we look to circumstances for hope, we will be disappointed. But in you, we can have a hope that's unshakable. We receive that today. And if you're listening to this message or you're here in this room or online listening to it, and you haven't received that transformation of the heart, I encourage you today to receive it. The Lord has already made a promise. He's offered it to you. And the proof of that was on the cross when Jesus died, that he loves you, he's made a way for you, you can be in his presence, you can receive his love and his transformation. If you need that today, just have that conversation with God right now, right where you're at. Confess your belief in him, your trust in him, commit your future to him, receive that grace, receive his presence today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.